Our Heavenly Father, again, again, we thank you. We thank you because you are sovereign. You, you're the creator, the sustainer. You are the uh, the one that, uh, though sin abounded, beginning with Adam, though sin abounded, uh, ultimately grace much more abounded. And uh, what an amazing and wonderful thing to know. And thank you for intersecting with our lives individually, that we might be drawn by your power uh, into saving faith by that wonderful word of grace concerning our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for his great willingness to leave heaven's glory and his love uh, for sinners and that he would uh, bear all of our sins in his own body on the tree and pay the full penalty for them and and that you raised him then from the dead after that was accomplished. So, Father, I thank you that he's seated at your right hand. So, seated there, but nevertheless interceding for all of us uh, uh, with, in the Spirit of God, with words that can't even be uttered, uh, crying out, Father. We're just so thankful that our lives and our future really are in as we like to say, in the hollow of your hand. Uh, and we do fly, as as it were, on eagles' wings. Uh, all these illustrations take on even more meaning for us who are the saved today than they did for the nation of Israel. <clears throat> Father, I, I just thank you for uh, giving us understanding from your word that we might know your word but it's so wonderful that you've provided it i mean the day could come when it is no longer available and certainly that's been true down through the ages as certain groups have uh, made the word of god mostly inaccessible but we have it still today father and it's easily available so we're so thankful for that and giving us the spirit of god to bring understanding so thank you, Father, for gathering us this morning that we might open your word together. And there are many, there are many who don't have that, that benefit today. There are many that have it and don't take advantage of it. Oh, Father, so many we reach out to seem to have such hardness of heart and such uh, blindness regarding uh, what you are doing today under grace. So, Father, I just pray that we would be lights in the darkness and that we would reach out to those that you're drawing uh, and opening the, the minds and hearts of that they might hear, believe, and be saved. And then having been saved, Father, that, that they would grow in the knowledge of you and that we might be a witness and a testimony and a benefit to them. We pray for children and grandchildren, Father, who are either just coming of age or soon will or perhaps already have, but they're still uh, surrounded by many enemies, as we all are. I pray, Father, in the public schools and elsewhere where they uh, are seeking knowledge, but knowledge... Uh, generally rather of a secular sort, just for the sake of uh, employment and uh, well-being in, in that sense, Father. And I, I just pray, Father, that for them, 
they may be so susceptible and uh, they may be lonely and friendships hard to come by and the enemy can easily use these relationships. Uh, so, Father God, I pray that you'd build walls of protection about them and give them the desire to to uh, walk on a path, Father, that's uh, honorable and righteous. And if they do not know you, Father, if they're still unsaved, I pray, Father, that you draw them to yourself in saving faith. Uh, there are so many, Father, just in our own group who are in harm's way, really, every day. And for us ourselves, we are as well, and we still live in the world, though we're not of it. So, Father, I, I pray for each of us that you'd protect us from our many, many enemies. And may we not forget that the the warfare is essentially spiritual and heavenly, and uh, we need both the offensive word of God and the defensive tools. Uh, to defend against the many, many uh, assaults of the enemy. Well, there's so much is happening in the world uh, regarding nations and conflicts, and we really are caught up more than ever before in a web, it seems, of lies and and distortions. And really, the enemy is just so transparently visible it just seems uh, the darkness is so penetrating heavenly father and you can hardly look in that direction without having it influence us so uh, father i just pray that you would uh, give us insights discernment and uh, guidance and direction regarding how to live in these days which are so dark and uh, we we know they can be darker, and we read the Bible, we see the inspired history found there, and we see how dark it can be. So, Father, I, I just pray for us that you'd enable us to stand firmly on the only true foundation, which is uh, uh, the precious love of our Savior, his great redemption, and our security in him. And may we, may we always rest in that and not be led astray with our joy even stolen sometimes by the enemy pray that we'd be bold and and not timid that we would speak forth the word of truth others desperately need to hear it so father as we open your word now may it be a great blessing to us and we would thank you in Christ's name, and amen. Oh, we have the privilege today of finishing up this section in our studies in Genesis. This section on uh, great themes uh, is all about the great theme of the sovereignty of God, which is written on... <laughs> really every page, and uh, sometimes every line. It's just really quite remarkable, isn't it, to have all these evidences of that 
revealed to us here as we've looked down through these weeks at the book of Genesis. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start the next theme. I could tell you now what that is, but I think I'll leave you in <laughs> suspense. Uh, and um, that way I have a, an ability to change the theme <laughs> from what I currently have in mind. But in any case, um, just by quick review, I'd like us to, to look at what I called last time the most amazing story of all, what leads from Joseph's enslavement to his final words and uh, how he um, how J Jacob is presented to him uh, with his final words where he, wherein he founds in verbal statement at least the nation of Israel upon a resurrection hope and I'd like us just to read a, some words there from Genesis 46 Patty would you just read for me there, uh, read for us there, rather, verses 1 through 7. And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices unto God, the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little ones, and their wives, in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Okay, thank you. So, the reason why I went back and, and had this read to begin in this morning's study is because of what's in verses 3 and 4 there. So God speaks to Israel, which is Jacob's new name, as you, you well know, right? He speaks to Israel. Uh, and he says, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. It's not only a precious statement of what the will of God was for Jacob and his offspring, but it makes promises that are very, very specific regarding a nation, right? 
So far, there are 70 of them only. There will be millions. And there will be a great nation. And it will all be because the Lord God worked that out in ways way beyond our imagination. But in this case, he's going to work it out in Egypt, where they will be initially free to enjoy the fruit of the land. Remember, uh, Joseph gave them the fruit of the land there, the best part of Egypt, right? Uh, under a pharaoh that uh, had given Joseph the reins to the kingdom, right? And, you know, that whole story, we've gone through that. So Jacob was to be comforted and all the brethren as well, right? And families, wives and so forth and children as they go forth uh, into Egypt. Uh, Jacob will go on and live another 17 years before he dies. Okay. And then he will die, but only after he makes a covenant with his sons. So let's uh, quickly read that. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. <laughs> so it looks to me like the Lord God was ordaining that time, that day. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he sware unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's those are pretty important words indeed there at the end so we see that Israel Jacob renamed died at the age 147 okay now remember how old Abraham was when he died it was 175 how about Isaac, 180. And we're going to learn that Joseph is only 110. So you see how rapidly from one generation to another, lifespan is decreasing for the most part, right? We could comment on why that is, but we won't go into that now. But what I would like us to do, and it's one of our major uh, focal points today, is to notice that this verse 31 is referred to in the great uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and that's uh, verse number 21. And I think we, we saw that last time. So what I want us to do is uh, to remember that. 
that that's singled out by God um, as the great work of Jacob. Well, you might wonder why <laughs> would that be singled out, right? But uh, I think we're beginning to understand that well. Okay. We'll uh, make a big point of that a little bit later. So what do we see? We see that when Jacob dies, he has a resurrection faith, and it had been uh, promised to him by the Lord God that when he died, and this promise was made in Beersheba, remember, before they went off to Egypt, the whole family, but the promise was made by God that he would make a great nation of them. So far, only 70, but he will make a great nation of them. That implies a lot of time, right? And then several times it says, I will, I will, I will, three times. I will make thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt. I will sh also surely bring thee up again and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. I believe the the hand on the eyes has to do with death. Joseph would be there as uh, his father is taken by the Lord out of this life. But it says, I will also surely bring thee up again. Oh, my, okay. So we see resurrection implied there. So many promises that had been given to Jacob would only be fulfilled in resurrection. That's the only way they could be fulfilled. And uh, that was uh, how Jacob died, was with a resurrection faith. And, and not only regarding himself, but also the nation, also the land. Okay, so that's why he wants his bones carried to where? The promised land, right? I hope you see that because it's really, really quite important. So last time I asked the question, and I think we answered it, which is how does the how did the sovereign Lord God work to accomplish such amazing results <laughs> as to um, bring a partial fulfillment at least of some of these promises? Right. Well, he worked one step at a time from the beginning of Joseph's captivity until finally the end when he commanded his sons prophetically regarding their future heritage, right? Well, we're reaching the end of the book of Genesis where the story comes to a close of how God did that step by step and laid a foundation even for creating someday a nation which would be not what we have had down through history, but a nation which would be the apple of his eye, also uh, language from the Old Testament, and an elect and holy nation. You find that referenced in the Old Testament and in the New, right? Um, and we'll see today how the book ends, because uh, there's something most wonderful here to take note of. So today's outline is simple. First of all, Israel, meaning Jacob, Israel blesses Joseph's sons and Joseph himself 
prophetically implying a future national heritage, a future national heritage. And then Israel dies with the hope of a future resurrection in the land of promise. And then Israel's national heritage is reaffirmed in Joseph's final words of testimony. So the final words are the focus today and how they point forward to how God will sovereignly work over a grand scope of time uh, to accomplish his purposes, as well stated in the promises that have been made, right? So taking God as word, taking the promises of God at God's word as truth, Believing them is really the center of all of this. Uh, God worked many miracles. They were they were finally grasped onto by his people a little at a time. Finally, in death, they give testimony right to that. It's very important to give a testimony when one is near death. <laughs> At least that's what Genesis indicates, right? Oh, may the Lord enable us to do that if we're not, first of all, caught up into heaven's glory, right? In which case, I pray that we've given testimonies here uh, that have been heard by others and taken to heart. Okay, um, so Genesis 48 opens, and we'll be reading there in a moment, but Genesis 48 opens with... Uh, says in verse 8, Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, this is the time of blessing. Joseph's father is going to bless his two sons, right? The elder and the younger. And so Joseph very carefully puts the elder on the right hand <laughs> of his father and the younger on the left, because isn't that the way the blessing is supposed to go? And Jacob is, it says, too blind to see who's who and who's where, right? But he crosses his hands and places them on the heads of the two sons. And so he blesses the younger before the elder. How about that? This has happened before, right? <laughs> oh, my. This is such an amazing thing. To have this recorded here. And then what does he say? Well, let's, uh, and Joseph points out that he's made this mistake, right? And Jacob says, 
so be it. <laughs> it will be done. Okay, so I'd like Lydia to read a couple of verses uh, 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 where we actually see the words of, uh, of uh, Jacob here as he also then blesses Joseph. So this is chapter 48, verses 15 and 16. Lydia? And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who had redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Thank you, Lydia. Very, very good. And uh, let's continue the reading. Gail, uh, chapter 49 now, next chapter, where now we've reached Jacob's last words. Chapter 49, verses 22 through 26. Gail? Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the, of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Thank you, Gail. Oh, so wonderful. These words are so instructive for us trying to grasp on to the great work of God sovereignly raising up a nation here uh, because of how we see how even Jacob, this man who had a will, uh, was just indomitable, right? <laughs> and you saw that through his entire life where God was the God of his fathers, right? He, he even would dare to say, well, it, uh, you'll be my God if, right? Well, the time has come for the if to be completed in the final sense of the word, since these are his last words, right? And you remember he wrestled with the pre-incarnate Son of God, and at that point, uh, he was, his name was changed to, from the supplanter or the thief uh, to the Prince of God, right? So here he gives testimony. And what is that testimony? Um, he says... Uh, Concerning him, <laughs> the blessing upon his son, right? He says, concerning that, um, that hands were made strong by the, <clears throat> by the hands <laughs> of the mighty God of Jacob. The mighty God of Jacob from thence is the shepherd the stone of israel a prophecy of the coming messiah right mm, boy these are 
very specific, mo the most wonderful words you'll find anywhere in Genesis, actually, regarding this particular prophetic prophecy, right? And then he says, even by the God of thy father. Okay, so again, he's this is my God I'm talking about here, right? Uh, the God of my of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, right, the one who is sovereign over everything, uh, who shall bless thee with the blessings, and he makes a long list. And then he says, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Oh, even over Isaac and Abraham, right? Um, unto the utmost bound, you see all these superlatives, <laughs> uh, unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brothers. Is it a blessing or a curse to be separate? Sometimes it's a blessing in the end, is it not? So take comfort in that. We find ourselves in this life often separate because we've been cut off, we've been shamed, we've been uh, separated by others uh, due to our faith and our walk, right? And yet the blessings of God flow so wonderfully to us like they did here. Okay, so Jacob, Israel, died surrounded by his sons. But it was in Egypt that he died and not in the promised land. You might consider this a great tragedy, but not so. The uh, story ends a few verses later. So verse 33 of chapter 49, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, remember he commanded them not to... Uh, not to bury him in Egypt. He gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Okay? Jacob has died. The time came where he must die. So synchronized. It's, it's, this is an incredible way, right? Okay, and that brings us to chapter 50. So Genesis 37 began with Joseph in Egypt as a slave. And chapters 49 and 50 end the book with the words that we'll read next. So this is the second part of our study today. Israel dies, Israel dies with the hope of a future resurrection in the land of promise. Hmm. So chapter 50, verses 1 through 3. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants to the physicians. Remember, he's co-regent in Egypt. Commands his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. And so... And for so are the fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. Seventy days. 
the Egyptians mourned the death of Jacob. Wow, it's quite incredible. The work of God is a mighty work indeed, is it not? Okay, let's uh, now, Elizabeth, if you'd read for us out of uh, the next verses, Genesis 50, verses 4 through 7, and then skipping to verse 13. Elizabeth? Now when the days of were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, as property for a burial place. Thank you, Elizabeth. So we're not quite to the end of the story for Joseph. We're at the end of the story for Jacob, his father. But so Joseph was sold into Egypt as a slave, but by the all-powerful and faithful work of Almighty God, became king regent in Egypt, and now grieves his father's death, and they take him off with all these ruling people and servants and so forth in Egypt off into the land of Canaan, and they go to the field of Machpelah, where a number of God's children are buried, Abraham and his wife and others. Isaac and so forth. Okay. Um, they were buried in this place that was sacred to them. So we've reached the final page of this inspired record, and now we'll see how it all gloriously ends. In the third part of our study today, Israel's national heritage is reaffirmed in Joseph's final words of testimony. What are Joseph's final words? Hmm, very interesting, right? Let's find out. So, uh, Lewis, would you please read from Genesis 50, verses 14 through 17. And Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father, after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will her adventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, 
the transgressor of thy brethren in their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the transgressor of the servants of God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Thank you, Lewis. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. He wept. Okay, let's continue the reading. Uh, Rex, uh, please read from Genesis 50, verses 18 through 23. Brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, uh, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Meshir and the sons of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees. Uh, thank you, Rex. And let's uh, finish the book of Genesis with the final three verses. Uh, Tom, please read them for us. Chapter 50, verses 24 through 26. Okay, Jim. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Tom. So the last words in Genesis are, a coffin in Egypt. You might think that will be the end of the story. Can God somehow carry out this plan successfully? I mean, they died with a resurrection faith, didn't they? And and not just that they would personally be resurrected, but that they would be resurrected in the midst of a great nation and that it would be in the land that God had promised to Abraham from the beginning, right? Oh, my. A resurrection faith regarding a great heritage and a land only possible through resurrection. Literal resurrection was what their faith expected, right? Their dying requests were to be buried in the land of promise. That's just, I think it's totally remarkable. It's so easy to read all these chapters and just kind of skip over this and miss it, but it's absolutely important because you see how Genesis ends. Well, how does Exodus begin? Have you considered that? What happens at the beginning of Exodus? Uh, we're not going to go and read those words right now. 
<laughs> but you remember, it begins with the children of Israel have become great. They're so great that even the Pharaoh of Egypt feels threatened, right? And so he comes up with this scheme to, to uh, have all of the male children at birth, all the male Jewish children at birth, killed, right? And yet, there was one couple. <laughs> and when the child was born, <laughs> even before the Egyptian midwife could make it, it was, birth would happen so quickly <laughs> that uh, they had the baby and they put the baby in an ark because they perceived something very special about him. They put him in an ark and in the river, right? They trusted this one, their recently born son, to the Nile. Now, that required quite a bit of confidence in the Lord God, I would say, right? And what should happen? But Pharaoh's daughter was bathing at the edge of the river and in the river, and she saw the ark, and she went out. And what should, did she find in the ark? But a newborn babe, right? That wept, and she saw the tears, and it changed her heart. She took him in, and he became her son. And Moses' sister was hiding in the bulrushes and came right out. That, that was a bold thing, huh? and an uh, incredibly bold thing. And said, oh, would you like me to find a midwife? <laughs> Not a midwife, rather, but a nurse, right? A nurse. Uh, a Hebrew nurse, right? I can find a Hebrew nurse for you to help raise this child, right? And so she goes and finds Jochebed, right? <laughs> Moses' mother. And so Jochebed's mother, then in the household of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, raises Moses. When he's come of age, he's, you know, he's... A, considered a descendant he, he he's a ruler right in 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 training right and uh, he's but he's been raised as a Jew as well as as an Egyptian right and so he sees uh, how harshly the uh, the Egyptians are treating his own brethren right and so he kills an Egyptian and uh, that one thing leads to another. He ends up uh, running for his life, basically, <laughs> to the land of Midian, where he spends many, many, many years, marries, has children, and so forth, until that day when on the mount, uh, Moses, who's a shepherd, sees the burning bush, and God speaks to him and changes his life and sends him back to Egypt. You know that story, right? Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. We get to chapter 13. And what do we find there in chapter 13 of Exodus? I'll read for you. Verses 17 through 19. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, 
that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So the, the problem was it was they could have taken the shortcut, but then the Egyptians would have caught up with them. They would have been in battle, right? And uh, they would have uh, changed their mind and said, let's go back to the leeks and the cucumbers and the garlics. That's a better thing than being here in war in the desert, right? So verse 18, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up and harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took, what does it say? And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Oh, so Jacob's, or rather Joseph's, Joseph's bones were taken by Moses. And that's not all. Acts chapter 7, verses 15 and 16 says, this is Stephen's great speech, you remember, just before he is stoned to death. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers and were, plural, carried over into Shechem and laid into the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. Jacob went down into Egypt and died. He and our fathers and were carried into Shechem. So it wasn't only Jacob's bones and Joseph's that were carried. Jacob's already had been carried, right? But now it's Joseph's and all of his brothers as well. All of their bones were carried back. Why? Because the promise had been made. I'll read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. That is the great work of faith of J Joseph listed in Hebrews 11. Just like Jacob's great work, right? Isn't that interesting? So you see that it was their resurrection faith that was highlighted here in these verses. So what are our concluding thoughts? Well, the Lord God sovereignly worked in the lives of so many. And we read of that starting way back early there in Genesis and saw how the sovereignty of God is uh, found there on nearly every page in the book, right? all the way up to the end. We read, by faith, Abel, and I'm taking this out of Hebrews 11. I'm not going to give you the details, but by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, 
and Joseph, right? Hebrews 11 begins with these words. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. And then he immediately starts with the whole creation. Though through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And it goes on and on. Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Through faith also, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Then the end of chapter 11 says, They all died in faith, not having received the promises. He thought that God gave them the promised land. He didn't. They lived in it as strangers and sojourners. They died in faith, not having received the promises. A better thing is reserved for us. <laughs> Ah, a better thing reserved for us. That's what the author of Letter to the Hebrews says, right? Better than what? The promised land. How about that, right? The earthly inheritance, better than that. Or we have a an heavenly inheritance. And what a wonderful hope that is. We've taken that by faith. God at his word, right? So this should be very comforting to all of us. God knows that our trials may be difficult, our sufferings hard, our persecutions might sometimes seem overwhelming, but none of it is in vain in the Lord's good plan for his saints. Great blessings flow through all of those things that befall us, if only we will rest in his always sufficient grace, for truly it is always sufficiency. Well, is the sovereignty of Almighty God written on every page in Genesis? 
Amen. I'm going to close by reading four verses from Romans 11. This is where we are today. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we've gone back to Genesis and we've been comforted, as Paul says we should be. Romans 10, 6 said, Now these things were written for our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, right? So Romans 11, <clears throat> verse 33. And this is at the end of these verses, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11, all about uh, how God would work with Israel uh, and then ultimately the Gentiles, right? When Israel was set aside. So verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. All. Lord bless you. My, what a story, huh? written by the influence of the Spirit of God, preserved for us all, and here we have it today in a reliable translation. Praise God. Are we going to take God at his word and rest? Even though the days are dark, I pray and hope that we will. Amen. Any final comments today before we pray? It's pretty amazing and wonderful, is it not? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us with this precious word of truth, foundational for all of the scriptures, foundation for your entire plan of redemption. And, oh, Father, and we've been blessed so greatly by being drawn into the sphere of your wonderful grace through the good news of the grace that has been secured for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, our sins would have separated us from you forever. A Christless eternity would have waited, but still, instead, we've been drawn into the most intimate fellowship. You are the, uh, the one who has planted and it's been accomplished, and we now are joined to our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do thank you, Father. We thank you in the bottom of our hearts, and may we never forget his great love. And Father, we would thank you, and as we thank you, Father, we just cry out to you regarding uh, ourselves and our children, grandchildren, our friends and families, uh, many of whom know you, Heavenly Father, and others who may not, but Father, May these days that you have gifted us with be in us a great glory for the precious name of the Lord and uh, your name as well, Heavenly Father. We would thank you in Christ's 
holy and blessed name and and amen amen